everybody. Hey, listen, I just want to say it's so good to have Cody back. Uh, yeah, thanks. I believe it. Um, hey, Zane, you can go ahead and change these one that you have for yellow back to white if you want to. It's, it's cool. Hey, um, so here we are. We're in week four of our um, study through the book of John that we've entitled This Is Who I Am. And remember, John's one purpose, John's one purpose in writing this letter to us um, was so that we would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and that we would receive this salvation that comes only through Christ himself. That's John's one purpose in writing. Oh, there's Liz. What's up, Liz? I didn't know you are here. Everybody give Liz a hand, she clap. All right. There's salvation that comes only through Christ. And, and today, we're going to look at, look at the why, as well as the how we receive this salvation. We're about to go over the, we look at a chapter um, that's probably the most famous chapter in all of Christendom. That's a fancy word right there, isn't it? Um, in all of Christian history, this is probably the most famous chapter. It has some of, the, some of the, our, our most favorite things to put on coffee mugs, right? It has things that you see at sporting events held up in the air. And you wonder, why is that guy shirtless holding the John 3.16 sign and all painted up? It, it's, it's one, like, this, this is a, one of the most powerful conversations in all of, of God's written word to us. But... If I was going to be honest, one of the most frightening and the most liberating things for me in my faith is the fact that Jesus knows my heart. Right? It's the most frightening but liberating thing I've ever encountered. It's, it's frightening, it's scary, because in the, as the fact that Stephen Carnock said, he said, God knows all that is done in the most secret caverns of the heart. I'm going to read that again. God knows all that is done in the most secret caverns of the heart. No place is deprived of his presence. That is frightening to me. That God knows the innermost workings of my heart. But the good, the good news, the most deliberating fact is that even though he sees all the dark spaces in my life, he still chose to come and make a way for me. He knew how dark and how sinful and how depraved I really would be as a human and as a, as a man. As a human and as a man. And he still said, you know what? I'm choosing to go for Derek. I'm choosing to go for Joe. I'm choosing to go for Mike. I'm choosing, like, I, he knew how evil and how depraved you really would be. And he says, you know what? I still love them enough. Now that's, that's what you call love. When you would fight for somebody that wouldn't dare fight for you. That is love. That is love. He deemed my life worthy of dying for. The love that that takes. Can I show you what I mean? Last week, we ended, with chap- we ended chapter 2 by reading these couple verses. So Jesus has just cleansed the temple. People have seen the miracles. People have seen all the craziness that he did. Hey, Joe, can you fix the like, slide for me? Real quick. And this is what he said. Uh, now, when he was, at, he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Why did they believe? Because they, they saw the signs that he was doing. Right? But Jesus, on his part, and this always kind of confused me when I'd when I hear other pre- 
preachers preach on it, but it makes sense now. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man's heart or in, or in man. That always used to confuse me until I started realizing that we all do exactly what this group of people did. They followed Jesus for what he could do for them, not for who he was as Savior. Anybody in here ever felt used? Anybody? All the time. Jesus started gaining momentum, performing miracles, feeding people, doing a lot of amazing things, and people were following him, not for who he, he is as Savior, but for, for what he could do for them, and which, which is why he didn't fully entrust himself yet to these people. But, but, did it stop him from still performing miracles and serving people and loving on people? No. But here's the thing. We're going to be introduced to, introduced to this new character in the story of Jesus. And this person has been, um, has seen all that Jesus was doing in miracles. He has seen what he's doing. He's heard some of Jesus' teaching. In fact, he was probably there when Jesus made that whip and turned over temple tables because of who he was, his he, he, was a, he, 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 was, he worked for the temple. In fact, he was one of the head people at the temple. He was in this group called the Pharisees. And I don't know if you know, um, it's this religious group. And here's why, and him, in fact, Jesus cleansing the temple probably resonated with him a little bit. I don't know if you knew much about Pharisees. Um, but the Pharisees, the, it kind of got started towards the Babylonian captivity, but it was made an official group in between the time of when, when the Old Testament was written and the, uh, and the New Testament events when Jesus was birthed. That's kind of in between that period is when it became a, an official religious group called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, um, it's often joked about they weren't fair, you see, because what they would do, they, they believed so, they were so, they were so like, they were so over the Israel and the people of God being justly punished from God for their lack of following the law and the commands of God. So they started this religious group that became very legalistic. They not only followed the laws that were written by God, which are not bad things, like you shouldn't murder people, you shouldn't stay faithful to your wife, you shouldn't do all these things, right? You should wash your hands before you eat. COVID, y'all. Come on, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but listen, like they, but what they, they, would, they would fall to an extent to where if I, were, if I were teaching something to the law and I would say, for you to fulfill this law, you have to do this, this, and this, that now became the word of God, those words for me, and they followed those things. And if you didn't follow those things, they let you know. You know what I'm saying? They'd be like that, you know, that, that, Bible, that, t- that preacher who used to come bash you in the head with the Bible saying you're sinning. That, that's who they were. They were th- those type of people. You know what I'm saying? Like they made sure that you followed every, every ounce of the law. And it, it started out as being a good thing. But it turned into something that was totally bad. So they believed that, that Israel needed a cleansing they, they, needed, they needed the cleansing so that they wouldn't be rightly punished from God anymore. They could be in, in, in communion and in, in, in unity with their creator. And so Jesus coming in, cleansing the temple, probably got this religious leader, this Pharisee's attention going, maybe this guy is up to something. You, you follow, tracking where I'm going? And so listen, listen to this interaction, listen to this conversation that begins in John chapter 3, verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, which means he was one of the head people. He would be like Billy Graham of 
Jews that day. Like people knew who he was. He, I mean, he had some money. Like he, like he was prominent. Like later we find out, Jesus' death, he brings he brings over a hundred pounds of different spices and stuff to bury with Jesus. That that show up. That means he had some money. You know what I'm saying? And there was a man. Uh, there, go back to verse one. Now there was there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi. We know, we know, which is kind of an assumption because all the other people didn't like him. No, he's just kind of, you know, playing nice guy here. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So, question becomes, why did Nicodemus come at night? We don't know, it doesn't say. Now, there's been a lot of theories that he had to come by night because he was afraid of what other religious people had to do, what we had to say, which could be true. Or it could be that Jesus had a following all day long, and it was at night that um, Jesus was finally alone enough to where he could have a one-on-one conversation. Or it could be that, I mean, he did work for the temple, and he had a job to do meetings with people and had to make sacrifices. So he could have just hey, that was the only free time he had. Or it could be that in Jewish culture, especially in that day, the best, they said the best time to study God or have conversation about, the, about God's word or, or, or the convo was at night because there was no more distractions. We don't know. But all we know is that this man came to Jesus seeking answers. And notice, unlike others, Nicodemus seemed to have a sincere heart toward Jesus. Right? Verse, the end of chapter 2, it says, God, Jesus knew the hearts of man. They were just basically following him for what he could do and not for who he was. They were, it was kind of for, it was not really for salvation. It was just for what he could give. And now this man comes to him. This religious leader comes to him and, and, and seems to show a little, like a sincere heart of seeking answers. How do, you, how do I know this? Because Nicodemus gives Jesus a title of honor when he called Jesus rabbi. Now, we know that Jesus was so much more than a rabbi, right? We, we know that he was so much more than a, than a, rabbi, a rabbi, but this shows that Nicodemus is coming to him with a sincere heart, like saying, I know that you, you come from God. I don't care what all these other guys are saying, like things you're doing wouldn't have happened unless you come from God. Like, it's incredible. They may not agree with everything. I, I'm, I, like, Nicodemus may not may not know or may not believe yet that Jesus is the Messiah, the one that he's been studying Scripture all about all these years of his life. He may not know that yet, but he still came to Jesus saying, saying listen, i got to have some answers here. He may not have believed yet, but he knew that, that, this, Jesus, that this, this Jesus, like he was different than anyone else. He's different than me. He's speaking and doing things as if he has authority over these things. Right? He comes to Jesus with a sincere heart. So he says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, but no one can do these things, signs that you do unless God is with him. And now listen, listen, it's almost like, it's almost like, uh, like Jesus knows your heart. Because Jesus didn't even respond to that. You know what he says? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you're born again, he cannot, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Whoa, 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 Jesus, this is out of nowhere. <laughs> like, like, like Nicodemus didn't ask a question yet. He just, Jesus was like, I'm just going to punch you in the face with it right now. Right? I'm going to punch you in the face with it right now. See, here's the thing that we have to understand as the basis of this conversation is, is that the phrase born again comes from the Hebrew word anothen. Anothen. 
which means born again or born from above. Okay? Now, here's what you have to understand. Jesus meant the latter. Like, Derek, you're, what, what are you talking about? Because here's what I mean. Because we'll see in a minute that Jesus is speaking about being born of the Spirit, which comes from above. Born from above. Okay? Jesus is speaking about being born, born of above. And here's what we need, before we get too far into it, here's what you, here's what you need to know for this this morning. You can write this down. You ready? Christ is offering you a new beginning. <laughs> He's offering you a new beginning. You're like, you don't have to live the same way you've been living. In fact, if you keep doing the same things you're doing over and over and over again, that's the de- expecting a different outcome. That's the definition of insanity. In, in fact, Jesus is saying this, and listen, I want to give you a new life. A fresh start. A fresh start. The old you has no hold on you anymore. Or it can have no hold on you. Now, this phrase kind of confused, this phrase kind of confused, uh, confused Nicodemus. Because, and here's why it confused Nicodemus. Uh, this word, anothen, could be used in many different ways in, 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 the, in the Hebrew culture. Right? Born again could, be, could mean like when, when, when you would have your firstborn son inside of a, in, when, you, when you'd have your firstborn son, many people and yourself would say, oh, it's Derek born again through the line of his son. Right? But see, so that was one thing, but Nicodemus didn't take it that way. In fact, if you go back to Ezekiel, Ezekiel describes um, this new birth that would happen. And, and he, like, here in a minute, you'll see Jesus say to Nicodemus, he'll say, like, aren't you a religious leader? And you don't know these things? Because he was, have studied Ezekiel, where Ezekiel talks about a new birth coming. Now, the, the funny thing is, is that that has been debated on what that really meant for years inside of Jewish cultures. And it's still kind of debated now. What does it mean to be born again? That's why Nicodemus makes this statement here in a second that we're about to read. Okay, here's... But, We'll just, we'll just read it, okay? This, this is what Nicodemus says in verse 4. He said, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born? Like, this is Nicodemus. Like, that's the argument they had been having for years, ever since Ezekiel had wrote, that, wrote about that, this new birth that was coming. Like, how are we supposed to get back and, have, like, how can we start over? And listen, listen Jesus is going to try to explain it to him. Listen, listen to what Jesus says. Here's what John said. He said, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. He's like, go back and read Ezekiel again. Okay? The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from where it comes from, or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, I want to pause here, because some of our good brothers and sisters in Christ confuse the heck out of the, this passage. Okay? They, take, they take that verse when it talks about water and Spirit to mean baptism, that you are saved at baptism, which is absolutely not true. Because a more accurate exegesis would mean, if you look when the Word of God uses, the Bible uses the phrase water, it can refer one of two things. Okay? One of the things is the Holy Spirit, but it can't be that in this text because it says water and spirit. So the spirit's already mentioned. 
You're like, Derek, you're getting deep. <laughs> Not really. It's, it's, it's ankle deep. Okay, split splash. Okay. It could mean in Scripture that the Holy Spirit, or it could mean the literal word of God. Okay? So, with that understanding, now we'll see that what he is really trying, explaining to Nicodemus is that um, you are born again, you're, you have this new birth by the word of God and by the Holy Spirit, which means that Christ is speaking a new word over you at this moment and sends his spirit to live in you. This is the definition of new birth, to be born from above, that God would speak over you a new life and then send his spirit to live in you. Like right now, his word over you is life. If you're experiencing anything else, that's not from God. That is from Satan himself. This is new birth. This is why, it, what, it, what it means to be born from above. But I want you to notice something. Who does all the work? Hint, not you. In fact, Ephesians, our friend Paul would tell us in Ephesians 2, 1, he says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And can dead people do anything about the situation that they're in? No. Like if I was at a funeral and I said, all Johnny has to do is sit up. You'll be fine. Just breathe. You'll be like, dude's been sipping the communion wine a little too much. You know what I'm saying? It says, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Can dead people? Nope, they can't. That's, this, this means that in your can't, we have a Savior who did. In your can't, we have a Savior who did. Verse 2, it says, I'm going to go and read this, in, in which we once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is either where we once were or we are currently dead in our sins, and we can't do anything, which means in, our, in your can't we have a Savior who did. Right? You can go ahead and put that one up there. Thing. In your can't we have a Savior who did. This is the how. It was all Jesus. You want to know how? It's by this. You were saved by the blood of Christ on the cross. His death, burial, and resurrection makes you whole. And nothing else. Not your kids. Not your spouse. Nothing. Except for Jesus makes you whole. Nicodemus is still like not having it. <laughs> Nicodemus, this is listen to this, all of this. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? This is my favorite line, one of my favorite lines Jesus ever said. And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel? <laughs> Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you don't you don't you don't understand these things? You've been reading them all these years, you've been searching scripture. <laughs> And those scriptures are pointing to me, and you just like still don't get it. Like, are you kidding me? Like, if I was Jesus, I'd be like going. Right? Jesus answered him, "Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand that these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak." And here's the, here's this little side note, little that we part. He's talking about him, the Father, and the Trinity. Just so you know, all right? Because I don't know if you know this about Jewish culture, but. They didn't really trust one man, one man's testimony. Like if you had a, if you had a witness, at least one other witness, oh man, the word was bound. You know what I'm saying? So this is Jesus saying, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, 
and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do, do not believe, how can you believe it if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven to the Son of Man, talking about himself. And as, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, talking about himself, be lifted up. And then we'll, we'll pause right here just for a second because I kind of chuckle sometimes when worship leaders say, let's lift up Jesus. He's already been lifted up. Okay? As we'll see here in a minute. We'll see here in a minute. And Moses, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. May have eternal life. Life. See, the serpent in the wilderness is, is Jesus calling Nicodemus' attention back to when Moses in Exodus lifted up the brazen serpent in the wilderness as a symbol of, 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 of the people's sin, right? And they would gaze on it, and, and it was a reminder and how they needed to repent. And, and it, was re- it was really a foreshadow of what would happen to Jesus on the cross, that he would be the one to bear our sins, to be lifted up to bear our sins. Right? Did I put this in here? I can't remember. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I did. This is Jesus saying, I will be lifted up taking on the sins of the world. I will be lifted up taking on the sins of the world. Now, there's this old prophecy, one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible, that spoke about this. And it's our friend Isaiah who wrote to us. It says, who, who believes what we've heard and seen? Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? Because people were confused. You know what I'm saying? The servant grew up before God, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing that caused us to take a second look. He was looked down on and passed over, a man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away. We, 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 looked down, we looked down on him, thought he was scum, but the fact is it was our pains he carried. Whose pains? Ours. Our disfigurements. Who dis, our, whose disfigurements? Ours. All the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself, that God was, uh, was punishing him for, for his own failures, but it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him. Our sins. He took the, he took the punishment. And, and that made us whole. Though through his bruises we get healed. We, we're all like sheep who have wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way, and God has piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong on him. He was beaten, he was tortured, he, but he didn't say a word. Like a lamb taken to be slaughtered and like a sheep being sheared, he, he, he took it all in silence. Justice miscarried and he was led off. And did anyone really know what was happening? He died without, without a thought for his own welfare, beaten bloody for the sins of my people. They buried him in, with the wicked and threw him in the grave with a rich man, even though he'd never hurt a soul or say, said one, one word that wasn't true. Still, it was what God had in mind all along, to crush him with pain. The plan was that, that he give himself as an offering for sin, so that he'd see, he'd see life come from it, life, life, and more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. Out of the terrible travail of soul, he'll see that it's worth it and be glad he did it. Through, through what he experienced, my righteous one, my servant, will make many righteous ones as he himself carries the burden of their sins. Therefore, for I will reward him extravagantly, the best of everything, the highest of honors. This is why we sang, Holy is the Lord, because he looked death in the face and he didn't flinch, because he embraced the company of the lowest. He, looked, he took on, the, on his shoulders the sins of many. He took up the cause of all the black sheep. That is love. 
That is what he's trying to explain to Nicodemus. It was our sins, it was Nicodemus' sins that he, that he will take upon himself, all of them. How many of your sins were future sins when Christ went to the cross? All of them, which means he knew how screwed up you and I would be, and he still chose to make a way. Like he knew how he knew the most inner parts, the darkest parts of my heart, and he said, says, Love can fix that. I can fix that. He's seen the most the, the, the crazy things that we would done. He 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 would see how depraved we really are, and he still chose to be lifted up. He still chose to be lifted up. That's the crazy thing. Like you know, you often you often tell hear people, um, listen, I, I tell people sometimes, hey, if you really want to know me, don't go ask my friends because they'll tell you the truth. You know what I'm saying? But Jesus goes even deeper. He knew the truth. He knew, he knew the anxieties I would have. He knew the fears that I had. He knew the sins that I have. And he still said, you know what, I'm still going to be lifted up for you, for Derek. And he starts to round out this conversation with Nicodemus with one of the most famous verses. It's a verse that you could probably quote. We've quoted it so much that we've lost the weightiness of it. He looks at Nicodemus and he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God, the greatest being, so to the greatest degree loved the greatest affection, the world, the greatest object of his love, that he gave he, uh, his greatest act, his only, his greatest treasure and relationship, son, the greatest gift that whoever the, in the greatest company believes, the greatest trust in him, the greatest object of faith, should not perish the greatest deliverance, but have the greatest assurance, eternal, the greatest promise, life, the greatest blessing. For God so loved. That's weighty. That he would leave that he would leave his leave leave heaven to come down to the very thing that he created to save it. Why? Why would he do that? Because he loves you. He loves you. This proves that love is not words, it's action. This proves that love is not words, it's action. And God so loved that he acted. He knew, he knew you couldn't and he acted. He knew you would never and he acted. He knew you didn't deserve it and he still acted. For God so loved Derek that he gave his only son that if Derek would believe in him, he would have eternal life. So God gave, that was his role. What is your role? My one role is to believe. That's the only thing you got to do. You mean I don't have to go clean myself up? I don't have to go take a bath? I don't have to? No, 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 no. All you have to do is believe. Which part of believing means repent. And all repent means is I'm walking in this direction, and I'm going to turn, and I'm going to go this way. I want to go in God's direction. I'm going to forsake everything back here and I'm heading toward God. God, I know I've done wrong here and I'm just headed that way. I'm headed towards you. That's all I believe you. The only opposition to new birth is you staying in the dark. 
The only opposition to new birth is you staying in the dark. Why? Why is this true? John records why. For God, verse 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that that the world might be saved through Him. Here's the good news. Christ does not condemn you. I don't care what that other preacher told you. I don't care what that other church preaches. Christ does not condemn you. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn it, but that the world through Him could be. There's none of that I have to clean myself up. There's none of that He knew, there's none of that he knew how messy you are and He still came and came to save you, not condemn you. Christ came to pull you out of condemnation. Pull you out of it. How do I know? How do I know? Well, I'm glad you asked because, John, records that. He says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their, their works were evil. In faith, we just have to step into the light. And if we step into the light, God is going to give you something better than your faith could even know we could reach for. A better life. A better future. He wants to give you a new birth life. Something you can't even dream or imagine to be true. This chapter ends. I'm just going to read the end of the chapter because we were reintroduced to our friend John the Baptist. And he's having a discussion with his disciples because his disciples get a little jealous. And he reiterates this and this, this, and this. So he goes on to say, For everyone who, who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, at least the work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. After this, Jesus and his disciples went to Jude the Judean countryside, and he remained, remained there. And he, he remained there with them and was baptizing. Which means Jesus and his disciples were baptizing people. And John also was baptized, John the Baptist. John also was baptizing in, at Anon near Salem because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew, and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who, who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you are bore witness, look, uh, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. And they're a little jealous. And John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given, given him from heaven. Given him from heaven. You yourself uh, bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have, have been sent before him. The one who has the the one who who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, the joy of mine is now complete. He must increase and I must decrease. That could be a whole sermon in and of itself. But he comes from above and is above all. He 
he, he who is, is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has, has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. This sounded familiar from Jesus' conversation just a minute ago, right? With Nicodemus. For he who, <laughs> whoever receives his testimony sets, sets his seal to this, to this, that God is true. For he who, whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains. That's John recapping every, this conversation that he just had. Jesus just had it with Nicodemus. But here's the bottom line. God loved you. Your Creator loved you so much that He bankrupted heaven come find you. He bankrupted heaven to save you. And maybe you're in here and you're like, Derek, I thought I was saved back when I was way, way, way little. But I've just not been sure. Well, we can be sure of that today. You can receive this left there. Maybe you're in here and you've been following Jesus for a long time, but you haven't really been following Jesus for a while. You can recommit that today. See, I'm coming back. And guess what? We already have one baptism, and I'm going to be changing clothes here in a minute. We can just baptize all day. I mean, I have to be back here at 3 o'clock for the church, but I don't care. <laughs> Step into the light. For God so loved the world, for God so loved, put your name in there, that he gave his only son. For God so loved Derek that he bankrupted heaven and sent the most valuable treasure he had in Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Do you bow your head with me? I don't know how you came in here this morning. But maybe you're here and you're like, I want to make a decision and I'm not going to have you say a, say a prayer after me. I'm not going to have you do anything like that. I'm just going to have you in this moment say, 